We get a chance this morning, however, to uh, speak to Rabbi Steve Berg, who is the uh, East Coast Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, has been in that position now for how long? A year and a half. A year and a half already. My gosh. Time flies. Does time fly? It certainly does. And I say good morning and welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for uh, having me here. Everything is wonderful, and it's great to have you here. I consider you a wonderful friend of this program and of the Nachum Siegel Network, and it's great to welcome you here this morning. You know, you have really a unique position in this world because uh, one thing we know is, unfortunately, intolerance is not going away. It's a battle that's going to be fought till the end of time. You'd have to agree with that, right? Yeah, of course. In a lot of ways, I think your job is a lot different than it would have been, let's say, 20 years ago. I think conditions, atmosphere, I don't know what's going on in, in the New York area, in the United States in general, I think it's very different than it used to be. Some may argue better, some may argue worse, but I think it's different. And on top of that, the the political situation is one of such uncertainty. You're witnessing now what's going on in Europe, for instance, and we don't know what to think of it. We don't know... You know, is it is it good to see nationalistic parties, you know, um, fighting for their own causes and independence? Uh, is it a bad thing, as we always say, good for the Jews, bad for the Jews? A good thing or bad thing? It's a very complicated world out there that you're that you're <laughs> that you're uh, working in. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yes, I would agree. It's a very complicated world, <laughs> and uh, I would uh, say that w- what's going on in Europe is definitely bad uh, in every way, shape, or form uh, for everyone, really. And uh, I think, you know, you mentioned before, and I think you're correct in terms of the world changing the last 20 years. Right. I, I think that hate and intolerance is pretty much the same that it's been for thousands of years. The only difference is because of the Internet and the interconnectivity of the world. Um, people get it very quickly. People know what's going on. Uh, and for good and for bad, you know, people uh, in Nigeria, for example, people knew about these girls and they were able to try and rally around with right. successful or not. a whole different conversation. Uh, but the flip side is the amount of hate on the Internet today, the amount of anti-Semitism on the Internet today, uh, the amount of bigotry on the Internet today is is just beyond anyone's scope or imagination. So if I were to argue that today, in 2014, uh, the efforts that are made, the anti-bullying efforts, you know, intolerance being, you know, dealt with on, on a much smaller scale than international, but starting with that, with anti- which you're involved with, right, anti-bullying and all that, sure. uh, anti-bullying campaigns and... Uh, and, and how unacceptable it is today, even though some may call it political correctness, but how unacceptable it is today to use certain terms or to lash out, you know, at people in a certain way. And the efforts that are made, you know, to make people aware of this. I mean, it's funny how in that area, I think we're much better and making so much progress. And yet you say that in so many other areas, things are worse than ever or more, you know, filled with hate than ever. I think people are definitely more sensitive uh, to many things out there, but you know what we're looking at every single day is the the power of cyberbullying. Uh, whereas in in the past, you know, I tell us to people all the time when they went to school, they would get out of school four or five o'clock. You know, you could be bullied, but at least you were able to go home, take a deep breath, and give your mom a hug. Uh, today, you know, so because of cyberbullying, it's a twenty-four hour cycle, and people are being tortured. And uh, because of the internet, it's created this anonymity. You know, where people don't really, you know, have to look you in the face and say something to you. They can totally hide behind an alias or hide behind the Internet. Um, so in certain ways, while people publicly are more PC, um, they're much more vicious in an anonymous way. Wow. Rabbi Steve Berg is here. Um, the, I'm looking at some of the notes that I uh, was sent in advance of this. 
conversation. And uh, at the Museum of Tolerance in New York City, which is on 42nd Street, for those who have never seen it, it's at 42nd and 2nd in New York City. You're primarily dealing with teens and with law enforcement agencies. Those are two interesting groups, aren't they? Two interesting <laughs> groups. Those are large groups we deal with. Uh, in terms of, as adolescents, we do uh, we have a huge uh, cyberbullying, anti-bullying program that we we do. We do work hand in hand with the New York uh, City Public Schools, uh, many many schools to try and, and help them out with that. Uh, but we also do sensitivity training, tolerance training for law enforcement. You know, I get questions all the time, like why are we in that business? And I always point out that if it wasn't for the Gestapo, the Holocaust probably wouldn't have happen, meaning law enforcement really is out there day after day after day, dealing with society, keeping society the way it is, and it's not an easy job, and we work hand-in-hand with the FDNY, with NYPD, with Department of Corrections, all those areas to try and give them um, the tools to really work with the public. Uh, You must have had uh, some episodes or incidents or situations where law enforcement officials, maybe, maybe some rookies on the job or others, just didn't know, just didn't understand, you know how difficult it is sometimes to be unique you know, in society, to, to be Jewish when most others aren't, or to stand out in a certain way. And I guess those types of courses and training would be very helpful. Look, you know, I, th- I think that the important thing to remember with law enforcement is they're people. And, and everyone comes in with their biases and, and the things that they grew up with. And, and you have to kind of help them work through that to take a look at something and say, okay, I don't want to judge that person. I want to look at this situation because we all bring it. You know, we have a, when we start our tours, right in the beginning, we have a game we call the 7-Eleven game. Okay, there's a study that says in the first seven seconds you meet someone, you make 11 assumptions about them. Now, that's just what we do because we're human beings. And what you need to te- teach people is, you know, yes, you make those assumptions, but many of them are probably wrong. And, and you have to kind of teach people to work through that, whether it be with, with Jews or African Americans or Hispanics or anyone. Um, and that's really what, we, you know, that's why, you know, we, we call it Museum of Tolerance. And people, I get it all the time, like, we shouldn't just be tolerant. We should be welcoming to people. Mm. And, and, you know, Museum I, of friendliness. Yeah, and I always say, you know, I go, look, halavai, we can all be tolerant of each other. You know, if we get to the point where we can really tolerate each other. Then it'll and, work out. Then it'll work out uh, pretty good. Everybody, <laughs> Steve Berg is here. What do you think when you heard about this uh, shooting in Brussels and the lives that were taken by this madman there? I mean, it's tragic. Tragic. There are two teenage orphans, you know, now in Israel as, as a result. But you know, something that people kind of missed in this whole thing was in Brussels that same weekend when the tr- when that happened. You know, there, there were the European Union elections, right? And you alluded to it before the nationalistic, right wing, anti Semitic, and and. Uh, you know, anti-immigration uh, parties. Uh, they won unprecedented, unprecedented. And there was the, the party in France. They came in number one. Right. That was Le Pen's party, you know, the big anti-Semite all years. Now his daughter's in charge. Right. They're still anti-Semitic. In Brussels that weekend, she started to put together a right-wing coalition so that they can have, play a bigger role in the European Union in basically messing up Europe. And uh, that is incredibly scary. I mean, it's really scary. You're talking about in, in France, just to give you an idea, her party came in number one. The president of France, his party came in third in these elections. There's a chance that this woman, right, this daughter of, of an anti-Semite who denied the Holocaust, right, that this woman could become the president of France. That's what's going on in Europe. So Brussels in and of itself is incredibly tragic and it's horrific, but it's part of a much bigger picture. And then if you throw in there the fact that the killer, you know, spent time in Syria, then you realize how, you know, whether Afghanistan or Syria, you have all these angry people coming out there. And frankly, they don't like us very much. And that's that's dangerous for the Jews of Europe and the Jews of the world. The European elections. Why now? Why wasn't why, why didn't we see elections, you know, like this with results like this? I don't know, 10 years ago or any other time. Well, I think you're seeing a large backlash because of uh, what happened in 2008 with a lot of these countries 
practically going bankrupt, having all kind of financial issues. And now the, the right-wing nationalistic people are saying, see, we told you this is no good to have one currency for everyone. You know, why are we bailing these guys out? Why are we bailing those guys out? Right. And there's a lot of resentment. And you know that right-wing people, they always build off this. This is what Hitler did, you know, when he came to power after World War One, and Germany had, you know, horrific economic uh, sanctions and they had difficulty. He came up and said, enough of this. We've got to build up. So you're seeing the same type of stuff right now go on. And we haven't even begun to, st- to talk about Russia in terms of what Putin's going to do, right. who, who is not an anti-Semite, but it's, it will complicate Europe. Um, it's funny because the EU or the formation of the EU could end up playing a very big role in attitude toward Jews in Europe because if the pendulum swung all the way to the point where there was a European Union that was formed, it may just swing completely the other way, as you just described. Look, I think we're torn. You know, for many Jews, they look at the EU and they look at the issues regarding Israel and, and they feel that the EU is on the wrong side of the Israeli issue with the Palestinians and all those things, which, by the way, is probably true. Right. But you have to look at what's going to replace them. And these folks that are going to replace them, you know, forget that, the nuances of the UN and all those things. These are people that don't like us and, and, and think, you know, it, it's... They just don't like anyone that's not like them. I, I hate to say it. And uh, it's, it's going to have tremendous ramifications. And, and I said Putin is hanging out there. Putin's not done. You know, he went to Ukraine. He took, he took, he went back. He, he's going to go someplace else. You know, and let's say he goes after Latvia. You know, Ukraine was not part of NATO, right? What right. happens when he goes after a NATO country? Does, does England and France jump in there? I mean, Europe is, is literally, there's gasoline poured over it. And, and I think everyone should be terrified of that match dropping. Oh boy, Harvey Steve Berg is here. Uh, ex- uh, the um, give me your title one more time. Eastern Director of Simon Wiesenthal. Thank Center. you, the Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center in New York City. You've had quite a relationship with some of the uh, government officials of New York, including the current New York City Council Speaker. Why has that relationship worked so well? Well, it's it's been great. I would say in the last 12 months, we've had over half the city council has come down for tours of our museum. Uh, the speaker, Melissa Mark Viverito, so she, she's been down three, four times. I actually have to tell you that. I, I give these VIP tours all the time, and I can tell you when someone's engaged or not. Uh, the, she came the first time. We probably spent almost three hours together. And, you know, I have I try and get them through as quickly as possible. She kept stopping me. And, um, you know, we have a violence against women piece. We have a genocide piece. And, you know, we spent a, a lot of time together. And I think that for a lot of these city council people, what drove them to office are these types of issues. Now, they get caught up in so many other things. But when they sit in a place like the Museum of Tolerance, they kind of remember why they got into politics. And it's been very, very special. Interesting. And yeah. in New York, especially, people of such diverse backgrounds, yet many of them have this in common, as you yeah. just said. They went into politics. And, and this and this week you're being honored by a city councilman, Matthew Eugene. Yeah, great, great fellow. He's the only Haitian-American uh, in, in the council. And how did this relationship start? Well, he is uh, he's very focused on youth issues. He's the chair of, of youth programs for the city council. Um, and we've done a lot of work um, with the city council in terms of getting more public school youth into our museum, especially from Title I schools, uh, places where kids may be from a low, lower socioeconomic background. Um, and he's just been fantastic. We've had this great relationship um, in trying to basically inspire children. Amazing. And you, as an Orthodox rabbi, have been recognized and will be the ge- and was the guest speaker at the NAACP event in Manhattan. I don't know. Some might find that unusual, but you have established a tremendous relationship with the organization. I, I, it's been one of one of the best relationships that, that I've had over, I'd say, over the course of the last year, year and a half. Um, you know, it's very interesting. I spoke uh, at, and I mentioned before, for Black History Month, right. at the NAACP for them. Right. And, you know, I started 
by talking about, I have a very good friend, Jared Bernstein, who was the White House Jew, uh, okay. Jewish liaison, and he attended President Obama's Seder. You know, President Obama does a Seder every year, and he told me the most powerful moment was when the president picked up literally the original Emancipation Proclamation and read from it at the Seder. And I talked about how, you know, in terms of slavery, you know, we have that history, they have that history, and there's common bonds. And I'll tell you something interesting. At the end, um, the vice president of the chapter, he asked me, he said, let me, I just want to understand, during the civil rights movement, the Jews and the African Americans were so tight and so close and worked so hard. He said, what happened? And there is this realization that our communities have drifted apart. And I think that it's to everyone's benefit to try and get back together on important issues that we can work together on. Well, what was it like working with both President Bush and President Clinton recently? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, it was interesting because uh, we had them at an event, um, and they were great. I mean, they're actually quite friendly. I mean, I guess once you get out of office, you know, it, cha- it changes a <laughs> once lot. Once you're a past president. Yeah, a past president. <laughs> but I'll tell you something that, that hit me at, at that exchange. Um, you know, they, they were interviewed what their time was like, and they asked President Clinton, um, you know, any regrets, you know, having, uh, you know, been out of office. And he said his one major regret uh, was Rwanda. He said, you know, 800,000 people were butchered in, in three months. He said, he said, we couldn't have saved 800,000. He said, but we could have saved 300,000 if, if we had acted. And that, you know, for me, my, one of my passions now is genocide and, and, and talking about that issue and dealing with that issue and, you know, and, and realizing how in the world, you know, we talk about genocide as a crime, but we're not really sure what to do when it happens. Perfect example, as I mentioned before, these girls in Nigeria. Right. Everyone feels horrible. No one knows what to do. And uh, so that was, to me, one of the most powerful moments is hearing, and I give him a lot of credit that he can say that, but the flip side is to see that, you know, 300,000 people could have been saved. It, I mean, how does that not break your heart? Is Rwanda the only area of the world that is suffering from genocidal numbers like this or has suffered over the last couple of decades of numbers like this? Are there many places like that, yet Rwanda is one that American officials have focused on for a long time? You know, there, there's there's many places. You know, Sudan, Darfur. You know, it gets talked about. It depends what's going on. It goes back and forth, back and forth. You know, the uh, the president of Sudan has been indicted by the International Criminal Court for genocide. Right. And I when I speak to kids all the time, I said, Where do you think he is now? He's in the presidential palace because there's not much you can do other than just say this is a really bad man. And, um, you know, the genocide started because there was a Jew named Raphael Lemkin that came out of the Holocaust, and he said, you know, if one, if I kill one person, that's a crime. But if I kill a million people in my own country and it's sanctioned by the country, that's not a crime. How can that be? So he fought in the U.N. and he made it a crime against humanity. It's the only one. There's a crime against humanity. But – and Samantha Power, the, U, the ambassador to the U.N., she wrote a book on this, basically said, but not much can be done about it. And, and, and I have to tell you, the one thing I've been talking about a lot, and, and I gave this speech, Chalamoy Pesach. Right when when everyone was freaking out about the Ukrainian leaflets, right. trying to, and I said, um, I said, look, the genocide, the, the UN, America, there's very little they can do. I said, but the one thing that we have as Jews is the state of Israel. So if something happens, the Jews start getting shot anywhere around the world, you know they'll be there. Literally within two weeks of that talk, the mayor in Ukraine got shot in the back when he was jogging. And I tell people all the time I speak to them, I said, what do you think happened to him? They're like, oh, I heard something about that. And I said, I'll tell you what happened. The state of Israel picked him up, brought right. him to a hospital, and now he's recuperating in Israel. Unbelievable. Rabbi Steve Berg is here. One of your talks is why is it easier, why it is easier to be convicted of jaywalking than genocide. I assume this is a, an exposition on what you just mentioned. This is exactly, yeah, this is exactly it. It's, uh, it's just, it's tragic. If something, I tell kids when I speak to them all the time, I said, next 10, 15 years, genocide will happen somewhere in the world. We just don't know where yet. Take North Korea, for example. Mm-hmm. The UN basically came out in the last six months with a report that North Korea has internment camps where they gas people to kill them. 
Okay, as Sound Jews. Familiar? Yeah. As Jews, how do you not get chills when you hear something like that, right? And so we know this guy's a despot. We know he's terrible. We know he has some kind of nuclear, you know, something going on there, right? And you have he's gassing people. And what can we do? And what can we do? So what's your role then? What is the Simon Wiesenthal family, and I don't mean, uh, you know, uh, relative family, you know what I'm talking about. What is their role in all this? Do you get involved politically in these countries? Do you... Uh, uh, do, do you officially warn people about what's going on in Europe? Like, what role can you play as an organization in all the things you just described? Well, we're very strong internationally. We have uh, an office in Paris. Uh, we're very, very active in Europe with what's going on. You know, we even still employ a Nazi hunter who is out there. In the last six months, there have been a group of guards from Auschwitz and a group of guards from, from Maidanek that have been basically arrested uh, because we helped to get some of the laws changed in Germany. Um, you know, we're out there, you know, basically, as I call it, screaming and yelling about everything going on and trying to, to, to for people to realize, you know, how disastrous this European election, uh, Union election was. Do these parties in Europe know that they're weak? Wiesenthal offices in Europe? Oh, yeah. They're uh, aware of it. Oh, they're not fans of ours. No, they're not. No, I, can, <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. But just no. knowing that it exists sometimes no, they, helps. Yeah, but that's, that's, so what do we do? We pressure the quote-unquote good guys. We pressure the more moderate politicians saying you have to speak out loud and clear that this is you know, this is unacceptable. And that's we, we spent a lot of our time doing that. And we spent a lot of time in Asia. Uh, Rabbi Cooper is constantly in Asia talking to, to the folks out there in Japan and other places saying, you have to play a role here also. You know, the world has to play a role. You can't, the world just can't watch this happen and, and stay silent, which is, frankly, what the world's always done. Is this what Simon Wiesenthal wanted when he left the war? He had this broad vision that a, a Jewish person has to take a leadership role and just wake up the world to what goes on? On a regular basis on this globe? For sure he did. You know, his approach was that uh, he went after the Nazi war criminals. He always said it was never about revenge. It was always about justice right. because they needed to know that if you touch the hair on a Jew's head, that there are repercussions to that. And people need to know that, that you can't go out there. That's exactly what I'm talking about genocide. You know, in general, people need to know that there are repercussions, that you can't just go kill people and destroy lives and then walk away, you know, scot-free. And that's what the world has to, to realize. What's the progress on the Museum of Tolerance in the city of Jerusalem. Ah, oh, very exciting. Um, Is there progress? There's, yeah, we finished the foundation. We're starting to go up. We're starting to go up. We're uh, raising the rest of the money. I mean, it, and and thank God, we just um, we've gotten a number of things named recently, um, and it's it's going to be. I think it's going to be the crown jewel of Jerusalem. You know, you're going to have all the major conferences. And, and what our role is at the, the Museum of Tolerance Jerusalem, we want human rights conferences to be there. We want people to see Jerusalem as a place that not everyone's trying to figure out, oh, is it occupied? It's not occupied. And by the way, kudos to Australia. They came out and, and said they would no longer call it occupied. Right. Um, but it's the type of place that you come to talk about uh, all these things that we're talking about here, human rights. And, and, and we're going to have major conferences there, and it's going to be just incredible. It'll be interesting to see which countries boycott a conference in Jerusalem on human rights and which ones of course are open to the idea yeah we actually just went through a boycott we're, we're opening um, literally next week we're opening in uh, UNESCO in, yeah. in Paris we have a display when when the Palestinians uh, join UNESCO we said you know that's not fair you got to do something for us and we pushed UNESCO to do um, uh, we're, we're doing a display on the 3,000 year connection between the Jews and Israel because wow. we want to say that we, we've been there for a long time so it was supposed to come out about six months ago and literally we were installing it in UNESCO and the Arab League blew a gut and then they said sorry we can't do it anymore uh, we got America Canada a bunch of different countries to pressure and now it's back on and I mean we'll see next week if it 
happens. And this takes place where? At UNESCO headquarters. Where is that? Uh, that is in Paris. Uh, in Paris. And eventually it will be here in New York. But first, UNESCO is where a lot of these fights in terms of Israel and Palestinians are happening. So we thought it was very important for people to understand that we're not Johnny-come-lately in 1948 popping into Israel. That We've been there for thousands of years, and uh, you know the world just has to accept that. That, must, that might be the most important point to argue. Is yeah. that our connection to Israel and to Jerusalem, of course, is thousands of years old and not something that was just created or uh, conveniently uh, arranged in recent times. Uh, Rabbi Steve Berg is here. He's Eastern Director of the Simon Wiesenthal Center. I guess we should point out to, um, I don't know, principals or uh, leaders of organizations who think they might benefit from a get-together at your museum, at your uh, uh, exhibits in New York City. How do they uh, get in touch with you? Well, they can just uh, email me. It's simple. It's S-B-U-R-G, S-Berg at Wiesenthal.com. That's the easiest way. Uh, but it, it's really one of the most unique locations anywhere in terms of the diverse stuff that we deal with, in terms of, uh, of Jewish background, civil rights, um, genocide, violence. There's just so many different things there that, that anyone that comes here will find it incredibly educational. And we do a lot of evening events for all kinds of organizations that come down there. We're down the block from the U.N. because we're an NGO. And uh, it's just an amazing, amazing place. And we should point out that school that are looking for a, um, a comprehensive anti-bullying uh, session, you know, where they where you could really open up the eyes of the students. I mean, I'm sure you've seen, you know, kids react like, "Oh my gosh, I never realized that doing that, you know, could have such repercussions." Uh, they should contact you for that. Yeah, absolutely. We start out, there's a whole area there, power of words, and we go to power of images. And, you know, I tell people all the time that Hitler and Stalin were just big bullies. It's the same type of behavior. And therefore, it's much more comprehensive to understand the bigger picture. It's a, it's, it's a funny way to say it, but it's rather accurate, yep. you know? Yeah. People say madmen, you know, genocidal killers. Yeah, it may end up that way, but they start as being neighborhood bullies, don't yeah, they? they start bullies, and, and you look at all that behavior. It's just, it's bullying behavior, and the world's got to not tolerate it. Unbelievable. All right, Rabbi Steve Berg invites you at the sberg at wiesenthal.org. Com. Dot com, at wiesenthal.com, uh, to be in touch and to arrange for a visit for your students and family to the uh, Museum of Tolerance, uh, New York City, which is on 42nd Street. And uh, we had a comprehensive review, to say the least, of what's happening at the Wiesenthal Center this morning with all these amazing projects that are going on both locally and, of course, internationally as well. We should mention that Devorah Berg has a big bat mitzvah celebration this coming Sunday. That's right. Very I hope you'll Berg convey household. Mazel Tov wishes. I absolutely will. And it's great seeing you. Thank you for all your support and for being a great friend of uh, of what we do here and uh, continued success. Oh, always. And can I mention one last thing? Please. I'd like to wish Y&J is graduating on Sunday and my son Ellie as well. So I wish everyone from Y&J a mazel tov on the graduation. Y&J, big shout out to you. Enjoy graduation, eighth graders, and uh, continued success in all your future endeavors, uh, to say the least. Friday morning broadcast on this era of Shabbos by Steve Berg from the Wiesenthal Center in New York City, he is the Eastern Director of the uh, internationally known Wiesenthal Center. We thank him for stopping by and uh, updating us on everything that's going on with his remarkable organization on a Friday morning right here at JM in the AM. <laughs>